Let us turn to God's word, because it is our sure foundation. Acts 9, verses 36 to 43. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. So first of all, the name Dorcas. It's kind of catchy, but also kind of unfortunate. Definitely memorable. Partially, it just doesn't translate well into English. Dorcas is a ready-made joke. But what you miss hearing Dorcas in English is that Dorcas is a woman's name. What's so amazing about this Dorcas is that she is a disciple, which is a very special word used in the Bible. Sometimes people are called workers. Sometimes they're called a believer or a Christian. But Dorcas is a disciple, which has some real implications for women in ministry because disciples are teachers. She's even an important enough figure that Peter feels the need to raise her to life. She's a disciple. Feel free to stick that one in your back pocket. This morning, first we turn to those who are mourning her death. In the room stands a group of widows. Where everyone else is, well, that's a good question. And a great opportunity to point out that clearly widows have been the bedrock of the church since the beginning. This church, like so many others, has a group of women that are often overlooked, but whose impact cannot be overstated. They are seasoned veterans whose faith has weathered some serious storms. Try pulling off a potluck or a member care team or Sunday school without them, or just try doing church without their constant prayers. You'd better just close your doors and go home. So in this story, it's no surprise that there's a group of widows that gather around the woman who passed away. But what I love about the story is I wish I could have seen Peter's reaction when he walks into this scene, because it's a little strange. There's a group of women who are looking at tunics that Dorcas made, and they are weeping. Now, before I go any further, I'd like to clarify that tunics are undergarments. The long cloak you would wear underneath your outer garment, which reminds me a little bit of my grandmother. My grandmother used to buy my sister and me slips every year at Christmas time. <laughs> every year until we were about 12 or 13, we got a slip for Christmas. Why? I don't know. It's a weird thing. 
And it's a really weird thing to open in a group of people sitting all around you. It's weird because slips went out of style in 1999. And weird because slips are an undergarment. It's the same as buying Hanes underwear and sticking it in your kids' stockings at Christmas time, which I have learned is a common thing. <laughs> underwear and socks. That is weird to me. Anyway, Peter walks in, and there's a group of women hysterically weeping and looking through undergarments that Dorcas has made. They've pulled out grandma's slips, and they're weeping over them, which may be why he puts them all outside. <laughs> Hysterical women looking through undergarments. Peter has just walked into town from nearby Lydda. He was there visiting Christians, and he found a man named Aeneas. Aeneas had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. When Peter found him, Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Quite seriously, Peter says, make your bed. Parents, if you ever need help, the Bible says, make your bed. Feel free to use that on your children. The entire description, though, of this miracle before Peter shows up to Dorcas's house is in one line, and Aeneas got up. Then we're told that everyone in town sees this man walking around, and they turned to the Lord. But Aeneas got up. Seems to me like the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. The monumental extraordinary miracle of these stories, healing a man after eight years in bed, raising this woman to life. Each miracle has one verse. One, Peter says, get up. And he got up. Here, Peter puts all the widows out. He kneels down and prays. Then Peter says, Tabitha, get up. And she sat up. That's it. Four words. But what's with that? Where's the flash of light or the clap of thunder or the voice from heaven? The answer is, it's not there. All that happens is Peter figures Tabitha is pretty tired after having, you know, died. So he gives her his hand and helps her up. The story doesn't spend its time talking about the miracle. It spends its time on things that we are all too familiar with. People dying, people grieving, making beds and underwear. In my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd be standing behind a pulpit talking about underwear, yet here we are. Part of the point is that we can breeze by miracles in our lives just as easily as you can read over them in these stories. Miracles don't always come with flashing lights. They don't have neon signs or a voice from heaven that booms. Pay attention. You're not going to want to miss this. But what is just as important here is that the text isn't surprised by the miracle. Our modern impulse is to want an explanation. How did it happen? How did the healing take place? Are the results verifiable? Did you follow up the next week? We are suspicious of miracle drugs, miracle diets, miracle financial plans, and somewhere along the way we became suspicious of miracles too. It's even easier to miss the miracles or to beat them down with questions and qualifications because I think part of us is afraid of them. 
We're afraid of miracles. Believing in them can make you look crazy. Having one happen to you, well, if a miracle happens, you have to change your life. That's it. But believing that God is real means we should expect these strange and miraculous things to occur. If God is real, then miracles aren't unnatural. Unnatural would be a tree talking. That's not in its nature. But if God is real, miracles aren't even supernatural. No, if God is real, nothing could be more natural than people being healed, others being raised from the dead, and people's lives being changed. Because if God is real, then why wouldn't we expect to see him doing things in the world? To do nothing is against God's nature. Which is why, for Peter... These events are just another day in the kingdom. I know you just got healed, but but make your bed. I know you were just raised from the dead, but get up and go talk to your friends because God is real and he isn't sleeping. We can forget that whenever we gather to do a Christian funeral, we stand over a body that is dead and proclaim that it is going to raise to life. We say it with conviction and certainty, and we should. Because in God's kingdom, this truth is as familiar as making your bed. Peter isn't surprised when Dorcas is raised to life because, hey, it was going to happen eventually. He isn't surprised when Aeneas is healed and able to walk because, hey, it was going to happen eventually. In God's coming kingdom, People are neither dead nor crippled. So Peter knew it was going to happen. The only thing that changed was the timeline. Miracles are surprisingly easy to miss. Often we don't actually expect them to happen. Sometimes we're afraid they will. And when they do... When God does work, we don't even notice. But make no mistake, there are miracles because God isn't sleeping. God does the miracle. That's the good news. God does the miracle. We don't. Peter kneels and prays. Then he gives Dorcas his hand and helps her up. God converts. God changes hearts. God raises the dead. We give a hand. But my sermon today is not from Peter's perspective. My sermon is from the mat of a paralyzed man. It's from the bed of a woman who needs to be resurrected. God's power is made perfect in weakness. While it's a catchy line, when it actually plays out, it feels a bit more like dying. As you know, it's been several weeks since I've even been able to stand here behind this pulpit, several weeks of being dizzy and shaky and tired. I can't lie to you and say I haven't been immensely frustrated these past two weeks, and more than anything, I've missed you. I've missed 
teaching Sunday school and leading liturgy. I've missed talking to you on the phone and seeing you swing by the office. I've missed you, and I've missed all this because I believe in what I do with every fiber of my being. But while I was frustrated, I learned again that my ministry here is not mine. It never belonged to me in the first place, and it never will. Thank God for that. I've been able to sit in the pews where you sit last Sunday and watch a service happen without me saying a word. I sat behind the Rogers and beside Brian's family and sang from my gut, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I sang it all the way home, sang it all last week, sang it until I believed it, because this is not my ministry. It never was. This church lives and breathes and has its being in God. So I stand before you today, not exactly healthy, I stand before you in complete humility for the ways that you have extended a hand to me. And I stand to declare that it's true. God's power is great even in our weakness. It is greater in our weakness. And the only way we get to experience that is through surrender. Clint Eastwood was directing this film. An actress shows up for a scene where she's playing a really minor role. She's just an extra. Her entire job in this scene is to hand the main actor a piece of mail. So this actress shows up intent on making this her moment. If she could just shine on set, maybe this would be her big break. So she practices and practices and works to figure out the best way to hand this actor a piece of mail. And scene, Eastwood barks. The actor comes on to the set and the camera follows him up two flights of steps to where the extra is standing. In this huge, flashy way, she hands him the mail, this really awkward gesture and intense look in her eyes. Here, Eastwood yell from the bottom of the stairs, Cut! Cut the scene! He begins pounding his way up both flights of stairs, his raspy voice muttering all the way. And at the top of his lungs, he looks at this sweet little actress and yells, This couldn't possibly be less about you! This couldn't possibly be less about us. That's power made perfect in weakness. If you want to be the lead character in your story, then God's power will elude you. Was Aeneas the only disabled person in Lydda? Unlikely. Was Dorcas the only person who died in Joppa? Not a chance. Aeneas and Dorcas were just extras. 
Their entire job is to be healed and become a testimony to everyone else suffering that God's kingdom is coming. The only variable is the timeline. So God does the miracle. And then they go right back to making beds and sewing tunics. Because this couldn't possibly be less about them. These miracle stories and acts are reassuring. God's kingdom is one of life. If we're in it, life is coming. Healing is coming. The only variable is God's timeline. Not that I love my odds. Dorcas was only dead a few days, but Aeneas was crippled for eight years. Israel wandered in the desert for 40. Mayo Clinic currently lists fibromyalgia as incurable. And you all have your illnesses, your grievances, and your pains that you have been carrying and unfortunately might have to carry still. But if I don't end up preaching about God has miraculously healed me, I will be preaching that even in sickness, God is sufficient for me because I know this is true. I am not the lead actor here. I am just an extra. God is running the show and his kingdom is coming. My hope and my prayer is that in sickness and in health, all I do and all we do would be to God's glory. And on every day that I have the strength, I'll get up, I'll make my bed, and I will sing in my gut, all to Jesus, I surrender all to him. I freely give. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.